0: That was fun, beyond fun, and actually to hear some vocalists. Well, I welcome you to this first Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent. I'd ask you, please, if you would turn in your copy of the Scriptures to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, Christmas Never Ends. And if you look in the book of Isaiah chapter 9, you're going to see wondrous things that were prophesied concerning this Christmas that never ends. I'm James Schaefer, one of the elders here at Grace Church, and welcome to you. This is the first message in the series of Advent, as we lead to the celebration of the birth of Christ. And looking with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9. But I wanted to ask you a question first. And the question is, what makes Christmas never end? And so the the cynic or maybe the economist among us would say, bills, bills, and more bills. It never ends. Or maybe the practical among us would say, well, as long as there's children's socks and children's underwear, there will always be a Christmas. I remember when Elizabeth and I were sitting together with the children And just thanking God and praying that Christmas would never end. Not just that celebration time, but Christmas would never end in our hearts. Little did I know that less than a year later, I would be in Afghanistan worshiping and enjoying the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior with soldiers and with Afghans, some of them actually being Taliban as well. You know, Christmas never ends, and it is about the Savior, Jesus Christ. From the beginning of time and all human events and all life had pointed to the Savior, Jesus Christ. So last Sunday, we were talking about lasting thanksgiving. This Sunday, we're talking, and I'll share with you about Christmas never ending, and there are two purposes. The two purposes are to bring God's never-ending light to the world, and second, to bring the never-ending Lord to the world. If you would look with me in the book of Isaiah, we'll read together, or I'll read, and you'd follow along. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning verses 1 through 2, and then I'll skip down to verses 6 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way by the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, or Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Verse 6 For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Christmas never ends. That's not just a hyperbole or just a great idea for economists or for those who would love you to shop forever. No, Christmas never ends, and that was the intention of God the Spirit in these two purposes, to bring God's never-ending light to the world and to bring God's never-ending Lord to the world. Verses 1 and 2 point out this fact, friends. Point out this fact. That without Christmas, without Christmas being planned from eternity past in the mind and in the plans and in the machinations through history, there would be no light in this world. Historically, those who were living in darkness in the period that was referred to in the Scripture were in the region of the Jews who were slaughtered who were deported or who were repopulated by a cruel nation the nation called assyria you can look it up about 500 before years before christ this took place they were in a dark dark life and a dark dark time for many years because of this cruelty of a nation that destroyed Israel at the time, and yet the darkness of that society, much like what we're going through today and we're seeing around us, it wasn't only due to the outside evil of an oppressive nation. It was also due to that society, that society that was consumed by sensual seeking, cursing, distress, the scripture says, gloom and anguish. And I want you to gather some of what you may understand was going on then that may be a parallel today. Just flip back one chapter in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8, beginning verse 19. Because this is what we're hearing in our own lives. And when they say to you, when everyone says to you, inquire of the mediums, the necromancers, the, me- the spirits and the wizards, those who chirp and mutter. Instead, should not people inquire of God? Should they, not, should they inquire of those who talk to the dead on behalf of the living? Instead, go to the teaching, go to the law, go to the word of God. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no light. They will pass through the land greatly distressed, hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be angry and will speak contemptuously, not only against the king and the government, but also against their God. As they turn their faces upward, they curse. And when they look to the earth, they behold distress, darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust Into thick darkness. Friends, I don't share this with us so that we become depressed about why Christ came, but rather so that we understand that the gloom of what has been part of the world is a gloom that still persists today in many hearts. When Jesus Christ was born on this earth, these people, who were referred to in Isaiah chapter 9 and chapter 8, were still under the deep sense of abandonment from God. They were hurt. They were under depression from their own sin, abuse of an evil nation, and abuse of the times even then. They were in darkness. No light penetrated them. And yet, This was not the only dark region in the world, and everywhere else was rainbows and unicorns and puppy dogs. They were like the rest of the world in deep darkness. So if you haven't noticed, Olympian epic evil has always dirtied and vomited over this world. And the smell, the smell is increasing. And why? Because the Scripture says, from the very beginning the first book of Genesis, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil at all times. I only say this to point out that in fact, before Christmas, there was no light, no hope of light, nor would there be light in the world, but Christmas is the solution for light. Christmas was planned from eternity past by Christ himself to bring never-ending light to the world. Listen how Matthew explains it in Matthew chapter 4, in chapter 4, so when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. People living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death A light has dawned, and from that time forward, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How did he bring light? He brought brought light when he brought his very self, himself, to the world. John chapter 1 says it this way, in him was life, and that light was the light of the world. Jesus Christ planned it from eternity past. He had been anticipating Christmas more than we could have anticipated it. It was his plan to bring light to those to us who are in gloom. So, who did he bring the light to? John chapter 1 goes on to say, He, the true light, gives light. To just the select few, just the people like us, just the ones who we like. No, the scripture is plain. It says, to everyone. And yet, when Christ came in human time, he began with a particular group of people called the lost sheep of Israel. Matthew 15 says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. But when Jesus Christ came, and this was, by the way, his first ministry time, his first action of ministry in which he went to these people, he didn't come to those who were the proper Jews, to those who were the ones who had become more self-satisfied. But he came to the half-Jews. He came to those who were hated by the Jews. As a matter of fact, they were hated by their neighbors, Everyone hated these half-Jews. And by the way, as a result, they hated everyone else. And they started to rebel against everyone else. They were a pariah of hurt and darkness in that society. in that lake region, that region by the Mediterranean to the Lake of Galilee. But, you know, it's interesting as well that these who hated the Jews, who were hated by the Jews and everyone else, Are the very same people who hate Jews and Christians today. Who are they? They're the same people who are called the Palestinians, the very same ancestors who were there before. But at the time of Jesus, how did they respond? They repented. They repented more than any other region of Israel. It's funny. How the most unlikely people are the ones that God goes to first. The most difficult. Isaiah chapter 9 says that those who repent and turn to him, there will be no more gloom. They were the ones who repented. So I ask us a question and I ask myself, where do we think God is planning his next revival of repentance? His light might shine more brilliantly in those areas that we despise. The people that we don't like. People called terrorists. People in Las Vegas. People in Russia. North Korea. Or even possibly worse. Those who are in the Washington, D.C. area. That includes me. He brings His light by His divine presence to those who were the foulest those who are the most despised of all sinners, people just like us. So why does he bring his light? Well, Jesus said it himself. It's in fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah said. He said this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He, Jesus Christ, is the kingdom of heaven. And he said, repent. He wants us all to repent. This is why. This is why to simply turn to Him, to those under the depth of darkness and depression, or to those who are self-righteous, why? He wants us to turn to Him. And so that brings us to the second purpose of Christmas, never-ending Christmas, is to bring the never-ending Lord to the world. The light of Christmas, first off, is not just that warm glow of the Hallmark Channel. Aww. Or the thin romance that maybe we see spoken of at this time of the year. But rather it is, he is, the blaze of God's glory, the never-ending Lord to the world, who comes to the world, as Isaiah explains it, by three prophetic actions. Three prophetic actions. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The first one is this that the child the godchild was born Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 for unto us a child is born the greatest skepticism of all skepticism throughout time has been that god could be would be born physically present on this earth god Not just a demigod, not just a fake God, but God himself would come to this earth. And skeptics have continued to poke at this. And yet the prophetic action proves that the birth of the never-ending Lord was always God's intention. Always his intention. And it began in the book of Genesis. In the Garden of Eden, in chapter 3 of Genesis, where the very first explanation that the child would come was when God spoke to Satan. And he said in chapter 3, verse 15, I will put open hostility between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed, or offspring, and her seed. He, very interesting now, it changes from her offspring and it uses the male singular pronoun. He will fatally bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. The offspring from Eve was not just a human. This one who is the Godchild, the only one, who has the ability to bring an end to Satan, to crush his head. This is the beginning of the prophecy of the God-child coming to this world. Isaiah goes on to prophesy, and he said in chapter 7, just few two chapters before where we were, he foreshadowed about the virgin, the virgin who would bear God the child. Chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And though this is not referring to the wife of Isaiah, she was not a virgin. She had already born a child who is named in the book of Isaiah. No, this is God with us, God the child. And then another prophet, a contemporary of Isaiah, Micah. Micah spoke of the exact place, the exact birth time of God the child. Listen to Micah chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of the brothers will return to join the Israelites. If we are skeptical about these prophetic actions that took place to pronounce God the child coming, then I want you to listen to politicians We trust them, don't we? I want you to listen to those politicians at the time of Jesus, those religious leaders, because they were the ones who affirmed the very scriptures that we ourselves are reading. Because they said themselves about God, the Messiah, the Christ child. In Matthew chapter 2, when King Herod, it says, called all the political leaders and all the priests and all the teachers of the law, and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they answered, in Bethlehem, Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. Not only do the prophetic actions show that the God child would come Not only do the politicians and the skeptics affirm that it is what they understand, but we ourselves understand that the never-ending Lord is who was born as the prophesied child. The second prophetic action is this, that the child who is the never-ending Lord can only be called the titles of God. It is even more exciting in chapter 9, verse 6, the second part. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the second part. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This never-ending Lord is called the titles of God. As a matter of fact, the word God is the word El in Hebrew, which can only and only does repeatedly, 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 with no exception, refer to the God. John put it this way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The second prophetic action shows that he has the titles of God. The third prophetic action concerning The never-ending Lord is in chapter 9, verse 7. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The third prophetic action is that this child This one who is the God will reign forever and ever. The psalm puts it this way, your throne, O God, your throne, O God, will be forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. That's why the apostle Paul said it in Colossians 1. The son is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is The never-ending God who was born, the Lord. And so the first purpose of Christmas is that he brings never-ending light. He brings himself. The second purpose of Christmas is that he brings the never-ending Lord to the world. But how do we know he's going to fulfill it? How do we know that he's going to back up his promise His good faith promise. It says in chapter 9, verse 7, the zeal, the ardor, the burning, jealous love of the Lord will accomplish this. This is not a mild child alone. This is the mighty Savior, everlasting God, who out of burning desire for us, for this broken world, this dark world, says, I burn to see that this is what happens. I will fulfill it out of my own burning passion for you. But it seems that the only kind of burning that we see in this world is from weak and bloodless people who continue in lust. Or the only kind of action that we may see from leaders is limp and languid. There was a person who wrote, some of you may remember back in the 70s, his name is Wilbur Reese, and he put it this way in a poem. He said, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a warm cup of milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I do not want enough of him to make me love the black man or to pick beets with a migrant or go to Kentucky. I want ecstasy. I want fascination. I don't want transformation. I want the warmth of the womb. I don't want a new birth. I want about a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. So is this the Christmas ooze, the Christmas snooze that this world wants, that we want? In contrast, the burning pure zeal for us is why He gives the gift of never-ending light to this world. There's no light without Jesus Christ. There has never been light unless it was His light. And there can be. There is no Lord without the Lord Jesus Christ. His gift is strong. His gift is a jealous and a burning love for us, for all this world. So what do we do with this never-ending light? What do we do with this never-ending Lord? It's not enough to acknowledge He is light, He's Lord. We must act. How can I be light? Well, the Scripture says we are Christ's light. The transformation and the transposition that takes place from Jesus Christ being the light of the world when he directly talks to us in Matthew chapter 5. He says, I am the light, but then he points to us and to me and it says, You are the light of the world. So let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He has made us the light. This is how we can act, to be the light for Jesus Christ in this dark world, to our neighbors, to our friends, to the ones who you are struggling with in prayer, to the ones who you are perhaps even avoiding. (laughs) Be that light for Jesus Christ. Second, we must act By lifting up the never ending Lord, by lifting up the name of Jesus Christ, by sharing that He is the never ending Lord who will save us. His zeal is for us. We can serve Him. We must serve Him. We ourselves in this church, those who are listening, those who may be listening in the future, we can volunteer. We can become pastors. We can become elders and deacons and leaders and missionaries and hospital and perhaps even military chaplains. We can be the light for Christ. We can lead others to the never-ending Lord. And so I would say to us, to us who name Jesus Christ as Savior We can be his light. We can lead and share that he is the never-ending Lord. But if we here don't know, if someone here doesn't know Jesus Christ, this is the time to say, Lord, I call on you to give me light in my dark life. And I ask you and urge you, you people here are listening, please give your hearts to Jesus Christ. Come to him. Talk to these leaders here, these elders, these deacons, these people who you know. They will share with you the light of Jesus Christ. Little children who we just dedicated, you are the trust of Jesus Christ to be the light to the world. Parents who we dedicated, you are the leaders who can lead these children to the Lord. Friends and family, single people, elderly, you are the light for Jesus Christ. This is not, not Just a holiday that's coming up. But this can be the never-ending, illuminating time for the light and for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. And so God in heaven, we humble ourselves, I humble myself before you. Recognizing that you as light have peered into the darkness of my life, of these lives. And you have seen us, and you shine light. You love us. You do not abandon us. You are the never-ending Lord of Christmas. Christmas never ends because you are that light. You are that Lord. Use us, we pray, O Lord. Use us. Use your word of the great prophet Isaiah from time past that prophesied this Christmas that we ourselves may be part of your Christmas never-ending. And we thank you for hearing our prayer, and we praise you, and we worship you, for you are our God. And all God's people answered, Amen.